I'd like to uh, say hello to all our loyal listeners and viewers out there. This is James McKean, the Peterson Automotive Museum Car Stories uh, YouTube series and podcast. With me, as you can see next to me, we've got the wonderful Derek Hill. Derek, uh, it's lovely to have you uh, out for a drive with me today. It's lovely to be out for a drive. Uh, in the hills of uh, Southern California here. And what are we driving today? Well, this is a 1931 Piercero Model 41, uh, bodied by LeBaron. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it's a car that's been in the family since new. So it's got a little bit of a special place in our uh, in our family. Yes, and as we've just been discussing off camera, it's a, a little bit of a land yacht, one might say. It is, yeah. I mean, every car from this era seems to be you know driving a bit of a, a, a truck but you know there's a lot of elegance at least in the body styling to make you believe it's it's just this fluid nimble flowing drive but uh well as you can see once we get going it really is quite smooth yeah i mean and i also love the fact that i get to stare at a pair of metallic buns Right. Wherever you go, it's just pointing you in the right direction. You just follow the archer. Yes. He tells you where you're going. Yes. I mean, they never thought to put a pair of shorts on him. No. I mean, I just want to know where he keeps his arrows. <laughs> I mean, exactly. it's just who it's with. Exactly. He's just waiting eternally for that one shot. Yeah. He's, he's got that one. I mean, some may say there's a place for a second arrow, but it probably wouldn't be too comfortable. <laughs> but, uh, so Derek, obviously, uh, you come from a uh, famous uh, racing family of sorts. Your father might have raced once or twice, possibly. Yeah, you know. May have, may have competed right. maybe once. Yeah, well, one, one, one or two races, you know. Yeah. Something like that. And didn't he, like, drive for this a couple, like, small companies in Europe? Like, an Italian company, I think, maybe once yeah. or twice? You know, they were, in fact, very small companies going broke at the time. Yes. So, yeah, you're right. You're yeah. Right. Now it's a little bit different. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you also, yourself, have also done a little bit of... Uh, of uh, racing in your time? I've done a little bit of racing, yeah. It's something uh, I look back fondly on, absolutely. And so you still get to do a little bit of racing now, but not so much competitively, more enjoyment, one might say. It is enjoyment, although I have to say, uh, driving vintage race cars in England, which I've done quite a bit of, is, uh, you know, they take it seriously. It's it's, no, as, it's it's as much a competition as I ever experienced. Certainly, it's certainly very much uh, rubbing is racing in regards to that. Yes. But, uh, although I, I wouldn't say rubbing. Uh, they, they might frown upon that a little bit, but you know how the Brits are. I well, mean, you are one. Exactly, yes. And Goodwood certainly sees enough of those hay bales getting moved around every year, one might say. I mean, what is it about the Brits? You might be able to tell me. Why do they... They live life in such a proper fashion, um, so polite. But you know, you put a helmet on. Oh yeah, the you get on the racetrack. What happens? It's not the red mist because that'd be much more an Italian thing. I'd say it's a green mist descends because that sort of fits mist. with the fog. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like you see a whole different character come out. Exactly. That's it's it. all British racing green, and uh, they uh, they go. They like to. There is some certainly the for the non-competitive competitiveness certainly comes out yeah. of those vintage race mates. Uh, you, you seem pretty calm considering we're in a 1931 car going down a steep hill. I've got, I've got total control in my driver here. No seatbelts. Exactly. At this point, no seatbelts, suicide doors, I could just jump out, surely. Right. That's just the way to do it. Exactly. Just open the door and hang on because it'll 
pulling you up. Well, because I could also stand on the runners correctly, and if only I had my, like, my submachine gun. You're the so gangster much. style? Right. Well, it gives you time to decide where you want to leap out of the car. Yeah. Standing on the running boards. But, I mean, for being a car from uh, that era, it's certainly, while it is snug and tight and you do get to smell and feel everything, it is very comfortable. Yeah, it is. In fact, every time I get back in this car, I realize that this is a car you could take on really long journeys and you'd be perfectly comfortable. Yeah. Especially if you're riding in the back. It's uh, it's like a lounge seat back there. So we'll try and go past them. Let's see if we can see the performance of... There we go, look at that. See, the really car does like to perform when you put your foot down there. It does, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, this was one of the most powerful engines of the day. I mean, 132 horsepower. Yeah. Not bad. What size engine is it in this? It's a uh, 385 cubic inch straight eight. Okay. Yeah. And it must be very, obviously, very nimble, very lightweight. Oh, yeah, you can tell. You could just pick it up, lands a feather. Right, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I've got the throttle to the floor, and you can just feel the acceleration. Well, we are going uphill, so actually, yeah. no. You don't feel it, but um, but it's not it's not doing bad. No, and it's I mean it just feels like you mentioned it would. I mean, if there was some room for me in the back, I would have been in there. Right. But then it might not have been as good for the conversation outcome for the listeners and the viewers to watch no, that. No, 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 no. Maybe we can try that later on so you get the full experience. Yeah, well you could just but I, it is a very and then obviously. You mentioned earlier before we got on here that uh, you use this for a rather special occasion in particular. That's right. Uh, we used it for my wedding, uh, which was about a year and a half ago. And uh, I really went through it. You have to make sure the car is going to start and stay running on your wedding day, don't you? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the more important things one might one have to do for a wedding if you're providing the uh, transportation in that regard. Right. I yeah. can imagine it might have started... Might, not having a car start might have been a rocky start to a, a relationship of sorts. There exactly. We go. I, I can't, couldn't tell if I was sweating bullets more about the wedding or the car starting or not. Yeah. You know, it was uh, a nail biter. But yes. it, it, it drove beautifully, and it really is kind of the quintessential wedding car when yeah. you look at it. It's just got that elegance and. Uh, little bit of a grind every now and then. But that's, as you meant, there's no synchro mesh in this car. No, no, so, so you really do have to get your double clutching right. Yeah, and slow and steady. Yeah, and you just gotta be patient with your gear shifts. Of course. It does, well, the gear, grinding of the gears doesn't sound too good, but it does sound good when it is revving though, the yeah. car. Well, and it's it's really a natural sound for these older cars. You just, when you're, when you're shifting and getting through the gears, you're going to grind a little bit. That kind of was the synchro mesh of the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's just people don't think that now with their, with their double clutch gearbox that they can press if they need to on their right. steering wheel. Exactly. I mean, I can't imagine the fright somebody would feel if they heard their gears grinding like that nowadays. But it's the beauty of the, the older cars, though. You know, you, you feel so much more connected mechanically to what's going on. Yeah, and so this car though has some, not only does it have some personal experience, but also in regards to how you've been 
this car, I believe, was restored by your father? Yeah, my father restored this. So this was his aunt's car. Yep. New. Yes. She bought it in uh, September of 1930. He grew up in this car, you know, whether it was going to school. He said he act, it, it was actually during the Depression years, the Great Depression. And my father used to just cringe showing up at school. And he and his brother used to sort of duck as they got closer to the drop-off point. I see. At class, because they really kind of, I guess, felt embarrassed being dropped off in such a, you know, ostentatious beast of a car uh -huh. in a time when, when, frankly, people were struggling, you know? But his aunt just loved cars, and she, you know, she had no shame driving something like this around. Sure. So yeah. you're saying then that your uh, father and brother would be hiding when they get dropped off at school in this. They'd ask yeah. to be like dropped off like two blocks before kind of thing? Right. Although they would never do that, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was... Uh, his, his aunt could afford that. And to her, having a nice car was, was what it was all about. Sure. And um, yet, after all those experiences, my father then just grew up really appreciating this car and loving it. In fact, this was his car as a daily driver when he became a teenager. I see. He, was, he went to USC for a year. Yep and would drive it from Santa Monica to USC before the highway system came in. Go Trojans, you've got to say that. Yeah, go Trojans. Exactly. And uh, he was, uh, yeah, and so I can only imagine he would drive it down National Boulevard, Washington Boulevard, and just vlog the car like you would have played. Of course, I, mean, I, I really can, wore it out. I can imagine that your father would probably push anything as a car that oh, would get behind the wheels. Yeah. And that's probably what prompted him to, you know, restore the car. He probably felt it was worthy of going to a sure. car show, entering it. But, um, you know, after years of, of vlogging it like he did, it was time. It was time. Uh, and he and his brother decided to, to give it a full restoration. Certainly. And then which car show did they take it to? Which small car show was the one that they decided uh, to take it at? Well... They took it up to the Pebble Beach Concord d'Elegance. Okay, obviously and, a great starting one. And it was, but it was a small Concord back in the day. I mean, it was only the fifth year of the Concord being a car show. Yep. And it had started out as a support to the races that they were doing in the Del Monte Forest up there. Uh-huh. So uh, you had a lot of the San Francisco dealer types who were importing British cars. Uh, having a lot of classes that would highlight, you know, the new modern day sports car of the day, like the MG sure. TCs and whatnot, and yep. Jag XK120s. There's a coyote running across the road. That's it's deep in the heart of the countryside. Yes, yeah. Uh, and I would, I'd fear for an animal running in front of this car. <laughs> it's just... I'd fear for anything running in front of this car. <laughs> but yeah, and so, um, I think what made it particularly special that year was that um, my father brought this car up to Pebble Beach. He had spent a year with his brother restoring it. And people weren't really restoring cars of this vintage yet because in the mid-50s, what, this was only a 20-something-year-old car. Yep. And, um, you know, here's this young guy showing up. He's racing 
in the, in the races that were in the forest. And he won the race that weekend, and then they called him over when he got out of the car when he was practicing on Saturday and say, you better go over there, you gotta accept an award. And oh. they gave him best of show. Which isn't too bad. Yeah. Not bad for a race weekend, is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Not bad for being in your mid-twenties either. No. You know, enjoying the car hobby. No, not at all. And then, but the question is, is that whose shelf did it, was it six months back at your father's house and then six months at the brother's place for the trophy? Because if they both restored it, surely well, there's the a... the car always lived at his aunt's house in ah, Santa Monica. okay. And they were, you know, they would do all the work there at the garage at her house. And so that's where the car, yeah, no, I mean, I don't think they really... There was no sibling rivalry over trophies? There was no trophy, actually. It was, oh. just, it was just a ribbon. Oh, okay. Just That's not too bad. That not too bad. Yeah. yeah. And I think really his brother was just there to fetch tools for him. You know, <laughs> I think he even looked at my father and thought, are you insane? You want to restore this old car? Okay, so it was taken yeah. off the team. <laughs> exactly. It was like sort of like dragged along, kicking and screaming? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, for a, uh, what, 60-year-old restoration, something like that. It still looks lovely. It's not too bad. And you just said you didn't do too much work to it to make sure to get it right for the wedding and then for this? Exactly. I mean, you need to do the usual maintenance of the car. You've got to, you know, make sure the fuel lines and carburetor, everything is running right. The electrical has always been an issue. Okay. Um, getting it started. I mean, there were six-volt batteries. and. When you hit the starter, it steals a lot of the amperage just to get the car started, and you're not giving it the spark it needs. Yep. So I've done some little tweaks, like put batteries in tandem just to give it some more amperage, and, and all of those little things have kind of helped out. Sure. Where should we go? Should we left or right? I have no idea. That's I'm sort of feeling left. Left is the way to go, I think. So it takes the lovely Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah. Look at that. More and more wineries. I know. I love here. If only we could just stop and yeah, why not? Grab a glass or two on the way. I think we could. Yeah, it's not a bad place to be. And the car's doing. I mean, obviously you're resting. I'm not doing any work here at all, apart from holding on. No, you might need a drink. Actually, it might help. No, it's fine. Okay. But uh, it, you are doing very well with it in these twisty narrow roads. It's obviously the perfect location for this car. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for finding the <laughs> twistiest roads. <laughs> In Southern well, at least, California. At least in this regard, you know, it's working very well. Look at that. Yeah, Things absolutely. Are like that. It's nice to work it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we're not exactly uh, hitting a high on the rev limiter here, but uh, no. it's certainly giving the forearms a workout, which would be good to... Uh, it's, it's the gym day today. It is. It's more of a leg day back when you get back to the gym. <laughs> and as long as you keep moving, you know, that's the key. It's just when you're in a parking lot stopped. Yes. Uh, you, you, I might ask for your help to turn the wheel, but... <laughs> Uh, you get a little bit of the wheel shimmy the sometimes. Jitters? Yeah. But it is, uh, it is a, I mean, it is a great little car. A little, yeah. I say, in a, in a yeah. little sense. Right. Little. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's always been incredibly reliable. Um, we've never gone through the engine or anything since it was restored in the 50s. So, I mean, these cars, if they did have one thing, it was just reliability. I mean, they were just built bulletproof, practically. Sure. And now, obviously, we touched on it earlier with your um, uh, willingness to jump in a 
vintage car to get on a racetrack. Which are some of the vintage cars that you've enjoyed having to, the chance to drive and race in, I should say? Well, you know, I put a few miles on a 1962 Maserati, a Tipo 151, mm -hmm. which was just an absolute monster of a car. It was, uh, it was built by Maserati, um, funded by Briggs Cunningham, to beat the Ferraris, essentially. You know, Maserati was always trying to beat the Ferraris. Sure. And they'd always come out with something really fast, um, but unfortunately, terribly unreliable at the time. Who would have thought it? Right. I mean, you can make you can make a car go fast for a few laps around the Le Mans circuit, but you know you have to have the 24-hour idea yes. in mind. And so, inevitably, the Maseratis usually would would break. But this particular car, the T the Tipo 151, set the fastest lap at Le Mans in 1962, a year my father won the race with Ferrari. Mm -hmm. And so they'd always kind of be a little worried about it, of course. Of course. But, um, you know, what if this is the year mm -hmm. the Maserati doesn't break? But uh, the car, you know, they only built three of them. Two of them were in fatal accidents. And here's the survivor. So you could tell I was a little bit concerned sure. when I was asked to drive this car. My first question was, why were they in fatal accidents? Uh, they did have this odd suspension uh, thing going on that the team sorted out. And so ultimately it was, was a great car to drive. At least they were nice enough to tell you that was the worry before you got into driving rather than after the fact. That was very yeah. kind of them. You know, and I think they might have just, just made up a story to make me feel better. <laughs> it's usually the case. And they, and they didn't have any idea what it was. They're like, no, it's just, it's just, we fixed it, but it's fine now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we solved the problem. You'll be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so we've, I've run that at uh, Laguna Seca. Mm -hmm. I've run it at uh, the Goodwood Revival a handful of times. And we finished second place, third place. Uh, we, one particular year driving that car, I'll never forget, because it was raining like you wouldn't believe could barely see out the windshield. I had this one little wiper that would go And this off. was a Goodwood? This was a Goodwood. I've never, I don't believe it's ever rained in England when I've been there. <laughs> really? Never. I've yeah, never seen I mean, it rain. rain. It must have been like a one-off. It was. A hundred-year storm. There you go. And uh, cars were hydroplaning everywhere. There was a GTO out there uh, that was being driven by Martin Brundle. Okay. And we just had a really, really good dice and, sure. and for second place. Uh, I'll never forget it. And it's just a fabulous car to drive in the wet conditions. Yes. Yeah. And has there been any cars that you've driven, be it uh, of the vintage ilk, that have been more of a challenge than you would have expected? Um, yes, yes, of course. They're all a challenge. I mean, it's all arms and elbows. Um, I've driven uh, a 1964 uh, Daytona Coupe, a uh, Cobra Daytona Coupe, which, which has been Fabulous. That, that would be a car that is not a challenge. It's just pure joy to drive. Yep. But on the other end of the spectrum, like I've driven a 1927 Delage ERA, an early, early Grand Prix car. Sure. That had a pre-selector gearbox. Okay. Where you would tell it what gear you wanted to be in before you went into gear, and then you'd hit the clutch as like a button to tell the gearbox to shift into that gear. Okay. And that was really like spinning plates and trying to drive a race at the same time. 
not easy. I can imagine it'd be quite a challenge. It was. It was a challenge, and there seems to be and more. And still new the arms and elbows as well, of course. Arms and elbows, absolutely, and and there seem to be more neutrals in that gearbox than there are gears. <laughs> so you you just never were very sure exactly what gear you were going to be in. Yeah. But uh, you know, you start to realize when you drive the whole gamut of race cars over the years that you know cars are cars you know we've got a wheel four wheels a steering wheel brakes throttle and they all essentially do the same thing and um, it's nice to be able to hop in just about anything oh which way we're going okay we'll keep going who knows where we end yeah. up who knows it's the way i like it yeah at least as we stay in California, at least we've narrowed it to the one state. Right. Yeah. That's the important thing. Yeah. And so, the, yeah, so cars are all generally the same. Generally, generally the I mean, generally, the, the physics behind it and the principles behind it. I mean, it's amazing we've evolved this far with race cars and we're still essentially just pushing pedals and turning a steering wheel. Yes. You know? Maybe not for much longer. I don't know. Well, there's automated race cars coming to effect. Yeah. Or maybe maybe you will just not have a wheel at all. It'll just you know you'll just look where you want to go. Or drive drive with your mind. Driving with your mind. I like that. And then if we talk away from race cars though, it's just cars that you've driven on the road. Which are some of the road going cars that you've had the pleasure to enjoy? Oh, road cars. Um, you know I. I tend to stay away from anything too fast and exciting. Okay. Because it's trouble. Sure. Um, I, I'm just not a weekend warrior driver, as you should be in these on these roads. Yes. But um, you know, I have my Audi uh, A4 Avant, mm -hmm. pretty standard, uh, non-exciting. Can put the dogs in the back. Yep. Doesn't really it gets the groceries. It gets the groceries. And the dogs may be too lucky the before they get in there at the groceries. It doesn't fit a, a baby seat very well. So really? Yeah, I might have to might have to upgrade here soon. Okay. Um, but you know, I I just love to see where cars are going these days, you know. I mean this RS3 Audi is taking a look at that. I mean amazing cars that you can get, you know, sort of any level of. You know, whether you want, um, you know, the sort of entry-level performance car right up to... I mean, entry-level, an entry-level family car now has 300 horsepower, which is two and a half times the horsepower of this. I know, imagine that. And maybe a third of the weight. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably very true. Yeah. And then, and a thousand horsepower now is just a given for most supercars. Right. Which is uh, crazy times. It is. I mean, we're, we're kind of like in this supercar era. And I, I, I frankly, I just love it. Because, I mean, I've lived my whole life growing up in a family with a father who, who really only looked at the past. Yep. He was absolutely obsessed with the past uh, when it came to the history of these cars. I mean, he, he was racing, of course, the best sports cars of the day, mm -hmm. driving for Ferrari and Ford and, you know, all kinds of great cars. Um, would he ever think of owning one? No. But, sure. 
but to be able to come home and work on the old 20s and 30s classic American cars, to him that was pure joy. And I, I just grew up with that. I grew up realizing, yeah, there's something you should pay attention to here. But I can say now that he's been gone for what, almost a decade, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm entering a new chapter in my life where I, I really can be honest with myself and say, yes, I like the past. I appreciate what cars of that era are all about and get out and drive them like we are today. Yes. But I love the modern day stuff. I love old There is something to be said about convenience. Convenience. Heated seats, air-conditioned yeah. seats, massage seats, I will say. Well, what do, what do you mean? I mean, how does it get more comfortable than this? Oh, that's true, but uh, let's be honest. The, uh, while we were to talk about the air conditioning in this, um, let's not beat around the bush here that our viewers and listeners can't smell the smells of what you're going through. But then again, I guess right. if you were in the back, you wouldn't probably wouldn't smell that with the uh, compartmentalization of this car. Yeah, you know, you might get asphyxiated back there. Probably. You know, if there's an exhaust leak I, or something. I mean, they're just, uh, they're just sleeping. Sleeping. Just sleeping. <laughs> just think of it like that. But no, I mean, it is very, it is a comfortable car. It is nice, cushy seats. There's a lot of heat always coming through the firewall. I mean, <laughs> at least we've got the vents that are, uh, you know, there to kind of, I think, dissipate the heat. Yes. But then again, I mean, these cars were built in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, or, sorry, but Pierce Arrow, uh, Buffalo, New York. Okay. Close enough. And Still cold cl- there Close right enough. Now. Cold, cold there right now. yeah. And LeBaron, who bodied the car, was in Detroit by that point. Sure. They had moved from New York. So these were all, you know, designers and cars built in very cold places. Also, we should tell the, the listeners and the viewers, Easter egg, we t- oh, I told Derek we're not going on any twisty roads on the journey we took here. So let this be a lesson to any other listeners or viewers this. We do, I never lie. All the truth. These not twisty roads at all. <laughs> Poor Derek here with his arm workout he's got going on. Yeah. I, I, are you really <laughs> taking us down Decker Canyon uh, yeah, in, in a 1931 period? I hope you have as much trust in the brakes. I've got complete and utter trust in right. both my uh, pilot and the car. Great. Well, Look at that, see? Well, the engine braking is fabulous in these cars, and you really relied on it back in the day. Oh, I could imagine you would. You get the, the drum brakes too hot, and the pedal starts pushing itself back and back and back. And before you know it, where are the brakes? And it's, it's not only that, obviously, the, the tires that you mentioned are maybe a year or two old, maybe a year or two older than me and you. Yeah. Oh yeah, but, but look, they built them well in the day. Well, that, that was it. And that is what I love about this era is that there was, uh, it was all about quality. Yep. And I mean, that was actually what ended most of these companies back in the day. I think they were obsessed with quality. Yeah. And that's what they felt sold cars. And it did for a period of time in the 1920s. It'd sell a selection of cars, but probably not as many cars as you'd hope to sell to keep afloat. Right. And then you had the Great Depression, which just had to flip everything the other way around. Yes. And build efficiently, sell affordable cars. And they just couldn't adapt to that way of thinking, I think, soon enough. Yes. And look, at least we found the ocean. We found the ocean. Which is it's a good sign. Yeah. But yeah, I would, I would say um, 
so I don't know. Let's let's to, to get back to this car too. It's just interesting that you know uh, how these cars were kind of bodied and sold. It's like where would you go to 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 get your customized Piercero back in the day? Exactly. And um, I was looking, reading into how Studebaker was selling this car. Yep. Uh, for the for the listeners, we're just under staring around a hairpin corner. Of course, and another one's coming we're up now as well. our breath. Yeah, uh, it's like switchbacks going down the side of a mountain. Unbelievable. Here. See, this is what uh, everyone expects. So comment below if you want to see more of us. Uh, <laughs> tell our uh, guests that we're actually not going to do this and then doing it right away. <laughs> but plus. yeah. Sorry. No, I was going to say, we promise we'll take you on an easier road back. Oh, thank you. Thank thank you. you. I'm, I'm actually enjoying it. I really like, am. There you go. It's, it's, you enjoy it. it's the important thing. Yeah. So, yeah, so where would you go to get something like this customized? Well, so, so Studebaker, I was thinking what might have gotten my aunt to, to, to get this particular car. Yep. And um, she had a Studebaker in the, the teens. And it turns out that Studebaker, through their dealership networks, were selling the high-end Piercero's the, and the Model 41, yep. which was all bodied by LeBaron, was being sold through the Studebaker network. And, and they would have helped you customize what kind of car you want, the color, the fabrics, sure. the you know various nuances, and accoutrement. Different times. Yeah. Okay, I think the brakes are going to be probably on fire by the yeah. time we get to the bottom of the hill. So we I should probably keep moving once we get to the PCH. Yes, I think that sounds like a good idea. Okay. So I think we'll try and go left if possible. Okay. If that works for you. Yeah. And then if we need to stop or do whatever you need, you just let us know. Okay. How are we it's, we will... Well, I can't see much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll clear off. We've got two wide bands, and then we'll clear for as long as you need. That. Like a dream. Merges like a dream. Uh, <clears throat> but if you need to stop or do anything like that, okay. let us know. I know we should pull over. I don't need to stop. Do you need to stop? How are you feeling? No, I'm fine. I, I never felt better. I'm feeling queasy. I know. In fact, I feel stronger with that 87 pulsing through my, my <laughs> veins right now. Good. The fumes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Let's see here. In fact, um, if you want, then flip that open. We're gonna flip the windshield latch open, and then you unscrew this wing nut. Oh, my tongue. And then you can just go one notch, tighten it up. Look at that. That is. Yeah, a little more air. Yeah. My word. We've got some style in here. I think also we might want to let the camera car by. Oh, that's right. Okay, we'll, we'll wait up for the camera car. And then when they go past, you get over in the right-hand lane, and then they okay. can do the beauties. Oh, they're taking some shots now. Yeah. See, it's all about the beauties. Yep. Thankfully, we don't have too much traffic behind us. No, that's great. We got one person we're holding up, but... There we go, look at that. Okay. As long as our camera car doesn't run over these cyclists, we're good to go. Yeah! Yeah. 
looking at that. <laughs> but PCH is certainly a lovely road to be driving on. It is. I know, it's... Well, I think it's a great Southern California car, because, uh, well, like they called these, it's an all-weather town car cabriolet. You could pop off the front section with this fabric uh, section in front, and then the back actually folds down, which I've never seen in my life. The back section? With the back part folded back, you oh, know, okay. to have it completely open. Oh, okay, sure. Um, but I should one of these days. You just, you wrinkle the top, you start to yeah. introduce some problems. So I move over? Yeah, to But it is, uh, it's nice having your own camera car follow you. It is. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I could have that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Bucking on the traffic for you, it's great, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you start to follow some of these people, like, uh, on social media, like, the Nico Rosbergs or Lewis Hamiltons of the world, and I, I do they literally have photographers? I think they do following them around every day of their life. Um, I yes, their own personal photographer. They do, and then editing together. Right at the start, yeah. Here's what your day looked like. Yeah, it's me getting a coffee. Right. I mean, I always wonder if they if they're with them getting a coffee. Does Lewis buy the photographer a coffee? Probably not. Lewis, if you're watching it, you should tell us. You can let <laughs> us know. Because obviously, I'm assuming they all watch the Peterson Museum YouTube feed. Right. Yeah, Lewis, please yes. buy and, and allow them to at least play with your pet tiger yeah. some of the time. Yeah. And his it's dog. Pretty, pretty cool. I, I like love that. his dog. Yeah. Yeah. Great dog. Uh, where should we continue down to? Let's I think we might want to try, uh... Canaan. Yeah. Canaan. Okay. But no, I think Lewis does have a photographer with the whole time. It's, yeah, it's amazing. I guess that's, that's the status. I I'm, a, I, I'm... We just goals. haven't made it yet. Goals. But you can't just have a photographer. Because you need your photographer, you need your personal assistant. Right. That's so there's probably someone else you're going to need as well. Right, right. Or we could just do this more often. Yeah. We could do a weekly drive in the Pierce Arrow. Why not? Hey, it works for me. Great swell coming in today. It looks it. When you uh, head back, you can grab the board and then go out in the water. Yeah, exactly. Great surf car. I mean, you could put them. There's lots of room for them in the back. Yeah, you could. You could. I could, I could bring my longboard. Or two, at least. Yeah. But, uh, and it's actually, I mean, look, it's not doing too bad. It's no, it's not at all. I mean, people's impression are, oh, these cars are really kind of meant to go on a trailer, you know, get you to where you I mean, need to show it. you might even be getting close to breaking the speed limit. I, I did, by one mile an hour. There you go. I mean, see. Not that, uh, this is obviously a closed road here. Drive is under 
secure conditions. <laughs> They're great cars, really. You can drive them um, as, as, I think, really as far long distances as you'd be comfortable doing. Especially with a 30 gallon tank. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna burn through the gas pretty quickly, but yeah. <laughs> what mile per gallon does this do, by the way? What's that? How many mile per gallon does it do? I have no idea. Um, I really, that's a good question. I don't think about those things when I drive these cars. You just to think where the next petrol station is. Yeah, you just look at the dial. Yeah, we're getting low. Put some gas in it. What, what kind of a driver are you doing there in that regard? Do you want to, are you erring down less than five or below, is it more to 10 when you start considering it as well? Yeah, when I see 10 gallons, uh, you know, I have the, 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 the fuel gauge is flashing its light at me ah. inside. Because is that really 10 gallons? <laughs> I don't know. You never know with these cars. Look, yeah, I guess it's true. Is it the same in the Audi though, where all you leave it to go to the light comes on and you're like, well, you can keep going, it's fine. Right. Yeah, you've always got a little bit. But now yeah. I would like to ask you about your racing, your actual racing career, where okay. you were racing uh, for championships and points, and there was rubbing because it was real racing, not vintage racing. Yeah. So you, you did, you were pretty successful in your time, and you must have driven some pretty fun cars. I know that I mentioned earlier there was one car to you that I wanted to hear a lot more about, the Bugatti EV110 that you got to drive. Yeah. The only time it raced in the United States, I believe, right, might have been when you were driving it. Right. Well, yeah, the team actually was uh, from Monaco. Okay. And I was... It's a terrible place to come from. Terrible, yeah. And, uh, you know, I uh, I was driving at Watkins Glen, mm -hmm. doing my first year of racing in the Ferrari Challenge. Through, you know, through this... My father, having raced for Ferrari and sure, connections, sure. is like... Obviously a terrible series to be racing as well, the Ferrari yeah, Challenge. Ferrari Challenge. I bet your father had to twist your arm and say this, look... No, even my father was going, what is going on here? We were <laughs> racing in the Ferrari Challenge now. Uh, the three, it was the 348s. Sure. So, I mean, even Ferrari would admit. Not, not the greatest Ferrari, but nonetheless, a great one to get on the track. Although, beat up on. I will say, I think that car, I like the look of that car. Do you? Um, yeah, the 348 uh, Challenge car, I think, yeah. is a good looking car. Okay. Even well, when I look back, when you look back at it now, it's surprising. When it's, it's, I mean, it's not a 355, it's my particular favorite. Right. But I think it's a good looking car. I mean, the 355, which I got to drive at the end of the season in the runoffs at yep. Magello, was so much better a car mm -hmm. that I just, even to this day, I, I, you know, when you race a car, it makes such an impression on you. And let me cut off this Bentley Bentayga. Oh, oh that's fine. Oh, I don't know if I'm gonna make no, it. No, it's all right, we can go Okay, okay. Maybe you just catch up now. All right. Um, I don't think we want to take out a, a Bentley Bentayga. We don't want to take anyone out here. Okay, no one? Okay. No one. No one. No, um, not even the coyotes. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, I, I was kind of making this point, you know, when you drive a race car and it it really gives you a hard time. Yeah, which... Uh, like the 348 yep. sort of did. You know, you just have, you, you look back on it and, with a little bit of a frown, but you know, enough time goes by and you go, you know what, that, was, that wasn't a bad looking car. 
Yeah. But the 355 was beautiful to drive. And I don't understand why we don't drive, no one drives more 355s because, uh, I mean, easiest car in the world to service, four bolts, the engine drops right out, you can just work on it, easy as that. Right. Well, and you can shift it manually, which is nice, right, with it. Yeah. It's, it's got a lot going for it. And so anyhow, I was running that 350, 348 challenge, did the 350, and while I was at Watkins Glen, this Monaco team shows up uh, with the EB110, and um, I met the owner of the team, uh, Gildo Polanca Pastor, mm -hmm. and he had broken the record on ice, the ice land speed record. Okay driving this uh, EB1, not that particular one, another EB110. Sure. And he had bought all the assets from the the, the Bugatti factory when it uh, had, I guess, sold off. It, I think it might have been going broke and sold off its competition department. And so there you had the... Bugatti never made Never, never. Always made money in the 90s. <laughs> right. And this EB110C, I remember I spoke to him, I said, oh, I met him, Gildo, I said, he was having problems with the heat in the car. Okay. And it was a cool day at Watkins Glen and he's still having to be pulled out of the car from heat exhaustion. Sure. And it was one of those moments in life where you didn't, I wasn't really feeling like I was an opportunist, but I seized the opportunity to say, introduce myself and say, okay, do you know that the next race we're going to is at Sears Point? And it is very hot there, usually vary and it's a much more physically demanding circuit and I said it's gonna be a hard time for you I'm, I'm afraid driving this I'll, car and you said I will if you pay me money I will volunteer I there was no question I, I didn't You're demand wanna, a cent I just threw yourself on. on your sword I, I just said I will drive this car for you uh, or with you you know of if, course. if you're having trouble and he, it didn't take him long to think about it. And he said, you know, you're right. He called me a week later. Let's have you warm up for the car and practice. I mean, I was so in over my head <laughs> as a driver. You have sure. no idea. Why not? All I knew how to drive was a Ferrari Challenge car. Yep. And here I'm driving a, a GT1 category EB110. The most exciting, out of control, in over my head experience I'd ever had. Uh, nonetheless, I didn't get to drive the race that week. They might have just sensed my deer in the headlights look and my inexperience. Sure. But we did get on very well, and he, he asked me if I would do Daytona the following year. Yep. And so that was a, quite an experience, driving at Daytona for the 24 hours in the EB110. Uh, let's see, Emmanuel Gruyard, he was a Formula One driver at one point. Uh-huh. So Gruyard was there as our teammate. And I learned quite a bit from him because he was so aggressive with the car. And it was a very hard car to, to break, actually. I think we had, something was wrong in the geometries <laughs> and in the size of the, uh, the master cylinder and whatnot. Sure. It just was not slowing the car down as we needed it to. Okay, which is obviously a comfort for you driving it if the car's not slowing down. It was terrible, you know, because you're, you're coming <laughs> off the banking 
It actually was a very difficult car to steer. Uh, as you come off the banking, you know, at, at Daytona, as the banking flattens out for the straightaway, connecting turns two and three, you really get this load on the wheel. Mm -hmm. And there was no power assist or anything like that. And I just found that it was very physically demanding driving that car. And then you had to put as much pressure as possible to slow the car down. So we had some issues there, but we got that sorted out for the race. And then kind of the dream scenario happened. It started to mist up, you know, when, when the race started. So the track had like just a layer of moisture. Yep. Uh, Hurley Haywood was out there in a GT1 Porsche. I'm, I'm accelerating out of the, the, hair, the chicane right behind him. His tail end of his car is all squirrely trying to find grip and of course we had all-wheel drive yep so i could just put the power down and point that car where i wanted to go yep and we were doing uh phenomenally well uh, we would have we could have probably won our class without a doubt but after seven hours a shift fork a part inside the gearbox broke and that was the only problem with those cars is that yeah. you know it would just take hours and hours and hours to fix anything like that sure of course, obviously, uh, 90s Bugattis are known for their reliability, so it was a, uh, a shame that that had to happen in that one instance. And a race car for us, I mean, race cars, obviously, again, known for their reliability. Nothing ever goes wrong in a race car. Never. Never. Yeah. On the pinnacle of uh, performance. No, it was the one time something went wrong in a race car. It had to happen to us. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, but I'll have to say, what a beautiful drive. Um, you know, you look back on those kind of... I was supposed to actually drive it at Le Mans later that year, mm -hmm. which just seemed almost too good to be true. And it was because Patrick Tambay, a, a former Ferrari Formula One driver, uh, crashed the car in the Le Mans warm-up days uh, in April. Sure. Cracked the tub. It was called off, unfortunately. And then which other series have you enjoyed racing in? or have you found your most enjoyment driving in the series? Well, I did enjoy driving the endurance races a lot. I then drove after that for BMW. Mm -hmm. uh, if this is going to be too much noise, we can close that windshield. There we go. Look at that. I mean, you can't do that in a modern day car. Just no. pop the windshield open. Yeah. There you go. <clears throat> Easy the when a finger gets trapped. Easy as that. <laughs> uh, just, just let me know. It's okay. I'll help you out. <laughs> we'll just cut it off. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. I don't need that finger. No, I don't need that finger. So it was oh, yeah, the... It was uh, the uh, I drove for BMW. Was I that the M3 GT3? Uh, yes. Um, Bill Oberlin was my teammate. Okay. He's still driving those damn things today. Yep. I mean, it goes to show if you just stick with one thing, how long you can take you for a ride but um, I, I really had no regrets putting that behind me we had a successful season um, I had another Costa Rican teammate Javier Quiros we would share the the shorter races together and they kind of had me I think as the ringer you know like Javier would go out there start the race stay out of trouble yep I would get in there finish the race um, we, we won Lime Rock uh, we, we won uh, Sears Point. We won our class at Daytona. 
we just had a, just a terrific year. Even won our class at Sebring, and I just loved driving that car. Sure. I was driving the Formula uh, Dodge at the same time. Mm -hmm. Sorry, the, the Barber Dodge Pro Series is what okay. it's officially called. And we would race off in the same weekend, so to jump from a Formula car into a sports car, uh, back and forth, back and forth. I feel it like helped develop uh, a versatility. Sure, different skills. So I imagine yeah. they'd be very different to drive as well. They were, they were. I mean, not Besides as of having four thing. wheels and the steering wheel, it'd exactly. be a problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the BMW had, you know, well, I think we had even ABS at the time. I'm not even, but it was just a very pleasurable race car to drive that you could push really, really, really hard. And yeah. But you know, at the end of that year, I decided I really wanted to, to, to go for the opportunity to drive formula cars. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up uh, driving for in Toyota Atlantics. And the idea of driving Toyota Atlantic just sounded too good to be true I, again. And I thought, this is the opportunity I want to go for. Of course. And, and one thing led to the next. Uh, Atlantic cars were just fantastic. Anyone who's driven Toyota Atlantics the amount of downforce those cars had were, was phenomenal. And you would drive, of course, road courses, street courses, ovals, just like the Indy cars do today. And, uh, and then that was probably one of the most memorable uh, years that I had driving Atlantics. And so, if we move on a little bit, what is it that you do now, mostly, uh, Derek and regards to cars and whatnot? What's your automobile focus for 2018? Well, for 2018, well, we've just finished a book on my father uh, that was a, a project that took over 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, but, of course, I, I, I would just assist with a lot of the research and proofreading and yep. whatnot. But that's called Inside Track. It's a, it's a, a coffee table book that we're, we're still promoting. I'm still actively working on getting that out there. Yep. Um, and so, basically, my father took a Leica camera around with him everywhere he went when he was racing. Uh, he, he took a lot of pictures in color Kodachrome. Uh, we ended up with over 1,500 photographs yep. that he just put away in the closet. These beautiful old photographs of his time driving. And we made that essentially like the biography of his, of his career, of his racing career. So with all the stories, uh, you know, first-hand accounts. My father went through every slide giving the story. So it's been really gratifying to get that out there. It's been a real legacy project. Yep. Um, I work with the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance, of course, so we have selection committees coming up. Mm -hmm. I'm MC for the event. It'll be, I believe, my fourth year doing that. And uh, I'm starting to help out now with a new show in Lake Sherwood. It's a show that's been running for the last four years called Rev Auto. Okay. And uh, I'm gonna help out and help develop that show uh, in, into just something more. Um, it won't be quite as serious as the Pebble Beach Concours at Delegance. There won't be any judging. It'll be something we can have a little bit of fun with. And then if anyone was to, where would they need to, if our listeners and viewers wanted to find out more about Rev Auto, where could they go to find that out? They can go to revauto.org. Okay, perfect. And it'll be June 3rd. Uh, June 3rd is the date. And uh, yeah, I'd love, I'd love for everyone in LA to, to inquire and, and come out and check out what we're doing. 
Yeah. Is there only going to be a focus for 2018 in regards to it, or is that still up in the air to be discussed? It's a little bit up in the air. I mean, everyone's doing Porsche this year. I wonder why, why is why? that? Why? Yeah. And so we decided, let's not do Porsche. I mean, imagine that. Just let's not do Porsche. And uh, there's so many other great, great, great car makes out there that are unveiling some really interesting things. I mean, yep. when you look at what uh, Bugatti and Aston Martin mm -hmm. and uh, McLaren and Lamborghini and Ferrari yep. are doing, uh, it's phenomenal. It's like they can't get enough of it. They can't get enough of wanting to develop something better and better and better and faster. I mean, there's such competition right now. Certainly. So we want to bring out some of the, the new as well as focus on the old. Of course, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And then if, uh, what about for yourself, though, Derek? If people want to find you online on the social media, which is quite popular these days, can we find you on there? You can find me on Instagram mainly is what, what I, I, I like to engage with. I'm at Derek Hill 28 Okay. Uh, is, is my handle. And yeah, I, uh, I'm usually Instagramming, sometimes on Facebook. I'm starting to get into Twitter a little bit now, uh, but, but yeah. Instagram's still your favorite. That's my favorite. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time for having us out here in your lovely family car that you've got here. Thank you. Thank and you. give me the chance to stare at uh, a, uh, a lovely pair of silver buttocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you time. might notice when you walk around the front of it that that's a man. I know, I know. You, knew, you did yeah, know I that. did. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. 2018. But thank you so much, everyone, for listening in and for viewing. And uh, see us next week with someone totally new, but not driving a 1931 PSR. I think we'll be in something different. But thanks again, Derek. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a joy. There we go. See? Wasn't that bad? Not bad. Well, we did, the time hasn't moved on too much as well, I'd say. No, no. Well, there's, when there's eight days in a week, you know, does it really matter what time it is? <laughs> <laughs> but it did the car did really well in the canyons. It did, did very well. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, from what I could tell, the oil pressure's where it should be. Yeah. Temperature's where it should be. Amps where it should be. There wasn't the gears pretty fine. No, I mean, look, if anything, it's like struggling to stay warm. I mean, it's, it's on the colder side. It, I think these cars truly were built for um, the New York winters. New York winters. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't like to be out there today in this the New York winters. No, no. No, I'd say that the the single digits, it's probably a little bit much for me. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, no, no, thank you so much for, yeah. for doing this yeah. and bringing this out. Got I just it. hope you get home okay now. No, you know, it was, it was a perfect opportunity. You actually, when I think, when you own cars like these, you need excuses to get them out. You yeah. don't just say, oh, I really want to drive this on a Sunday just sure. for the hell of it. Because you kind of think, well, what could go wrong? Yeah. I really don't want to have to deal with a no, I understand. catastrophic breakdown today. Yeah, and that's what you worry about. Or something, if it breaks, how much is it going to cost to fix it kind of thing? Yeah, it's, it's just, um, it needs this opportunity to get out and run, it, run through it, you know? So no, I'd love to attend the Rev Auto show that's happening in June. Yeah. Uh, yeah and then my dad's fun. also coming out to Pebble Beach this year. His oh, first yeah. time. Oh cool. So he's really he's really looking forward to coming out and seeing that since he's seen me live vicariously through me going through it for a couple of many, a few years now. Great. He's really looking forward to coming out for it. Good, good. Oh yeah, you've got to. 
I mean, it is a bit of a madhouse now uh, with just the logistics. If you can find your way there and you can have a place to stay. Well, no, so that's it. So I've, we've, uh, this is the first time I've done it because my father's coming. I'm doing it, I'm like doing it on a baller budget, but that baller budget for me is obviously still not very much money. Right. But we, I found a house in like Seaside, and so we've got a house for the week. Okay. So, which is the important one out of the Perfect. house. I mean, Seaside's, Seaside gets hit, he wants to be more at Laguna Seca, so okay. that I can drop him there and then I can run around right, right, and right. come around. Perfect. So, it, it and is, he, well. is he flying in from England? No, so my parents live in Australia, so he's flying oh, in okay. from. Australia, so yeah. still a long, uh, very long distance. Yeah, yeah. But it, it'll be well worth it. Yeah, but he's coming in. So he's coming in uh, August and leaving September. So he gets to escape the winter in Australia. Well, no, yeah. sorry. Well, yes, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, what kind of a winter do you have? Not, it looks like this. In August, it's not really. It's a bit, maybe a little wet, not too cold, but yeah. But um, we're trying to do at this moment. We're trying to do the. Um, go to Detroit to do the the car cruise, the Woodward car cruise the week before, oh, nice. and then fly back and then that'll do Pebble. So uh, just trying the logistics of trying to get everything right. worked out. Because yeah, they generally always run the same week, which I found out. Yeah. And I was like, it's the only chance I don't want to do it, so why not give it our best shot? Now? Right. Since he's probably not going to have too many chances to do those things, why not? Yeah, yeah, you got to do it. What, um, so do you have, in regards to Pebble, how much, what's, obviously you MC the event, but what else do you, are you involved in, in that regard? Um, well, I'm involved in, like, you know, just the general, like, critique meetings, for instance, mm -hmm. where, you know, we have to really all, oops, how do I get in there? I think you need to be in there. Yeah, basically, um, you know, we all get together and, and discuss how the show went and offer our opinions and ideas. And yeah. We're all out there observing um, what can be done better, what worked, what didn't work. Yeah, just uh, have a good chance. And then selection committee meetings, of course, is, it's all about curating, um, you know, making sure you get the best cars on the field. Of course. And... Uh, because I imagine there's always lots more people that want their cars in the field. It must be difficult picking which ones. Exactly. I mean, you always get a ton of And wherever you want to stop here, it's easier for you. Whatever's easiest for you. Okay. Don't have to worry about us. All right. I might get out and find a bathroom or something. No, I think that makes sense. Cup of coffee. Yeah, or you do your Bikram yoga, if you fancy it. Stretch I might out. do yoga, get a coffee, And then get, get some, some gourmet, Chinese. gourmet popcorn. Oh, and then popcorn. Obviously. And then take a... Uh, dip in the pool. <laughs> my clothes clean. Yeah. And then I get my hair cut and go to the bakery. I mean, look, and then you're done. It's a full day. Don't right? you love America? Yeah.